we're performing at a job, like, like all of those things, we have expectations of ourselves and how we'd like to see ourselves perform or how we'd like to do. And so that's a source of these expectations. Uh, perhaps uh, it is our boss at that job. And he's like, this is what I want you to get done. And we either fall short or we exceed. If we base our identity on those things, we're going to feel great about ourselves if we do what our boss asks us to do. Uh, and we're going to feel terrible about ourselves if we fall short of that. But then it gets into more things with relationships. Maybe uh, it's something from your mom or your dad or you were, as you were growing up. And, and maybe there was an unhealthy atmosphere at home that has led to this aspect within your life of never being good enough or never being appreciated or never feeling loved or always falling short. Or, or maybe you were in a family that uh, was positive and, and always lifted you up. And, and so because of the praise of that family, your identity is based in that instead of Christ. And so you're always looking, trying to find more of what you had from your family. Maybe it is uh, our just trying to compare uh, me to somebody else within the same status of my life. I think we can fall into this uh, a lot sometimes too. Like, uh, okay, I'm early 40s, uh, I'm married. Um, what kind of car do I have compared to somebody else that's early 40s and married? What's my house look like compared to somebody else? Like, like we can fall into those things. What's my 401k look like compared to what the average is for the nation? And all of those different things can come into to comparison. And, and if we're establishing, again, our value on how far we think we are along, uh, we can either feel really good about ourselves or actually really poor uh, about ourselves. The whole concept of this is that we base our value on trying to meet a set standard in life. And, and that's true of all human beings, right? Like, like literally even within God's decree, like we're called, our, our value is set by a set standard and, and our choice is either by what God has established or it's in what we have established ourselves or allowed other people to establish for us. Uh, and so the block comes in is that when we're looking at this and we have this lie within our, our mindset is if that we meet our standards or we meet the standards of other people, we're going to have joy and satisfaction in our life. That everything will feel great and, and go well as long as we're meeting these checkboxes, as long as we're doing these things that we've established for ourselves. But the problem with that is, is that if our concept of value is tied into how good we're doing, even when it comes to our relationship with God, we'll get to this a little bit later in the message this morning, but, but even on this front side, if, if our sense of value, of our sense of well-being, of our sense of purpose is tied in with how good of a job that we're doing, it's always going to result in a fear of failure. Whether it's how good of a job we're doing for what we think God wants us to do, how good of a job we think we're doing at work or with our parents, siblings, kids, spouse, it will always result in a fear of failure. Because we're worried about losing our value then. I don't think any one of us would sit there and intentionally try and like look at our life and say, like, my worth is based on how good of a job I did. My worth is based on how good of a husband I am. 
how good of a wife I am. I don't think any of us would intentionally think that, but we fall into these traps. And then the result of that trap is if we fail at being a good husband, a good wife, a good employee, a good boss, whatever it might be, a follower of Christ, if we feel like we fail at that, well then, because we've established this, even if it's not intentionally, we feel our value drop. We feel like we're not worthy or we're not worth it because of that. And so this fear of failure is always attached um, to a sense of worth that's based in meeting standards or accomplishments or successes. It's always going to be there uh, for, for every single person, but the way that it actually plays out happens a couple of different ways. Uh, the first one uh, is to be found in somebody uh, who pursues perfectionism. This is somebody that is, their worth is based on success, um, but they're striving and doing everything that they can within their power to get every single thing right. They love to be in control in most situations. They love to have their life very ordered, very set up in a very accomplishable way uh, in order so that when they're at work, at home, whether it's being on time for something, the way that they look, their various skills, like all of these things, they, they put their resources into the life uh, trying to manipulate things in a way where they always find success. And they're always pursuing success. And they're always trying harder to find success. Uh, and this then results uh, in either being angry and resentful when other people or other situations kind of throw a wrench into the works. Right? Like, like everything's going well. Like my plan. Everything's clicking. I'm doing awesome. And then all of a sudden somebody else messes up or somebody else throws something into the mix. And everything then starts to feel a little bit derailed. And so there could be anger and resentment in that. Um, often they'll be looking to shift blame uh, or find excuses for not succeeding. And again, this is a result of finding that worth in success. And so if I've done everything that I can to make sure that success happens for me and then it falls short, I'm faced with one of two things. Either my self-worth or my feeling of self-worth will diminish because I failed at what I've established or something outside of my control happened. This person did this. This person said that. I got a flat tire and so I was late. There was traffic. There was, oh, I had a headache that day. Like, like any little thing that you can find to add in to, to give an excuse onto why something failed, it's actually trying to protect your own self-worth. Because then your value isn't as diminished because here's this perfectly reasonable thing that happened and this is why it failed. This is why it didn't happen. I think we can even do the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God and, and pursuing holiness in life, right? And sin comes into our life, temptations and sin, and, and we can sit there and, and here's this temptation or this sin that we've stumbled into, and if we have this mindset of perfectionism where our worth is based on success, even in following God and avoiding sin, then it's really easy in this mindset to allow those excuses to take place. Yes, I, I've fallen short, I've sinned. 
What Scripture tells us is that does not change our worth in God's eyes because of grace and mercy, right? It doesn't change. But if we have this mindset, a lot of times what we'll do is fall into this trap of, well, I stumbled into this sin because I had a really hard day at work and I was feeling really, really down. And because I was feeling down, I was more susceptible to when this sin came. And so again, I didn't necessarily fail. This other thing made me fail, right? Or if you struggle with things like pornography, it could be like, all right, I've been just watching this television show and this advertisement popped up. Or this billboard along the side of the road. Or whatever else it is. Like, this happened. I was doing fine being and having success in obedience but this other thing happened that's not my fault. And so therefore, because this happened, like I was weakened and then I stumbled into this. You see how this trap that's based, again, it's all based on us performing and doing everything right. But the subtlety that comes into it is that because our identity is based on success, it's so easy to allow for excuses to come in for why we fail. Because then our self-worth isn't diminished because it's not our fault. Now, the danger of that is as we start to allow those excuses in, then it almost gives us an excuse to fall into sin. It almost gives us a reason when there's something that really shouldn't destabilize us at all if we're in Christ, and it comes across, it's almost like we're training our mind because we're only really trying to protect our self-worth, but the more we do that, the more we train our mind to these subtle little things that happen that we only once use as excuses are actually now stumbling blocks that come in front of us and, and do stumble us because we've allowed that to happen. And it's all based on trying to protect our own sense of self-worth in that versus a relationship with God is, I've sinned. Lord, look, I've sinned. There's no excuse. There's no me trying to be like Adam, right? Where he's like, well, the woman, you know, she gave me the fruit. The woman that you, wait, you gave me the woman, so really, you're the one that gave her to me, and she's the one that failed, and you, remember, you gave her to me, and then she gave it to me, so there's like all these other things happening, and that's why I ate the fruit. I, like, we don't want to fall into that at all. And, and again, the whole aspect in our relationship with God is there is no excuse there is no aspect of, well, this made me weaker and this made me weaker because the truth is within Scripture, there is no temptation that comes upon us that is not common to man. And there, God will always provide a way of escape through that. He gives that to us in Corinthians. Like There's all this truth within Scripture. And so when it comes to that, he also says there's no condemnation. And so we find ourselves stumbling into sin or walking into sin or choosing sin. All God really asks of us is to say, Father, I messed up. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Please forgive me and give me the strength to walk forward in this and to help clean up any mess that I made. 
My identity in you is not shifted. It is not changed. It is established by the blood of Christ alone. Not my actions, not my deeds, not my messes. That cannot be changed. It cannot be shifted. It cannot be blown over. And it cannot be stolen from me. I am forgiven. And I'm going to keep walking forward. Like That is what God has established for us in Jesus' work at the cross. And if we find ourselves pursuing after perfectionism or pursuing after making sure that we've got everything right so that we can succeed as much as possible because it makes us feel good or it gives us self-worth, as things are clicking along great, we're going to feel fine. The problem is is it can lead to pride and self-idolatry and self-reliance. And then these other things can sneak in and subtly undermine all of those things to the point where we're letting all this stuff slip into our life just because we've fallen into the trap of basing our worth on success and being good at finding worth in success. It's a trap that leads to these things. Again, it leads to pride, self-idolatry, self-reliance, not trusting other people. Because again, those who are perfectionists, like, I'll, I'm going to get the job done, or it's better if I do it myself than I trust somebody else to do it because they're not going to do it the way I like it or as good as I'm going to be able to do it or, or whatever. So it's a lack of trust in others. It also leads to a lack of trust in God. Because again, it comes down to, well, I need to do this. I need to get it right. I need to not sin. And then when we do end up sinning, it's like this devastating gut punch that's like, man, I failed at this. And right there, that very feeling where it devastates our identity, devastates the the way that we see ourselves, reveals the lack of trust in God. Because it's not trusting in what he has established, but rather how good or how poorly we've done at this. This will lead to possible isolation as other people are pushed away. And because of pride, it's hard to accept or ask for help. And so all of this can can sneak in and affect our life as we try to pursue perfectionism or it is a success-based value in our identity. The second aspect, uh, and again, this isn't a conclusive list, but uh, one of the common ones, or the second common one, uh, is becoming passive in life. So this is kind of the opposite of those who pursue perfectionism. Is they're, they're the driven ones that are doing everything to try and establish success within their lives. And they're the ones that by the world standard look really, really successful. But those are the traps they can fall into. The other aspect is kind of the opposite of that, where somebody will sit there and say, uh, well, my worth is based um, on success. They're still believing in that. However, what has happened within their life is that instead of expecting success, they expect failure. Because again, nobody's perfect. We're all going to make mistakes at times, right? And so one person tries to protect their self-worth by doing everything right as much as possible. This person um, has tried that, has failed at doing that, recognized the failure um, of being able to hold their self-worth by success, but instead of resting on God and acknowledging, 
I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. It's all about what Jesus has done. It's not about what I can do. Instead, what happens is, is they take those failures and they become discouraged. And they feel like it's impossible to succeed. That no matter how hard they try to be able to do what is right, no matter how much they want success so that they feel value, they feel and have come to expect failure instead because they think and know that they're always going to fall short. If not careful, if not turning to Christ, this will result uh, in low self-esteem and low motivation. It results in becoming passive. Like, why pursue a challenge? Why stretch out in life? Why try to accomplish anything greater than yourself if you're only ever going to fail at it? Because of that, that passiveness comes in. Instead of blaming exterior people, again, so the the person that's always pursuing success by what they do and uh, that perfectionism, I, I think there's a different word that I'm missing for that but but again they when they fail they often look to put blame on somebody else in order to protect their own self-worth for somebody that has fallen into this aspect of being passive and having a uh, expectation of failure instead of blaming others oftentimes the blame goes internal not saying that they never blame others But what has happened is because of repeated expectation of failure, what happens is they come up to something in life, they they come into an aspect of their job or being a husband or a wife, and, and they've fallen short of whatever the expectation they have in their mind is. Again, that expectation might come from religion, it might come from our spouse, it might come from society, it might come from whatever it is. But falling short of that expectation for somebody who expects failure, oftentimes the response is, I knew this would happen again. See, I just keep messing it up. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good mother. I want to be a good employee, but I just can't. And, and it just deepens and deepens into this cycle of despair that just constantly leads to, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not capable enough, I, there's no way I can ever get out of this. And the same thing happens again with the relationship with God. Because you come to an aspect of, of falling into sin and you're into this expectation of failure. Like, like right then and there you fall into the lie of, well, of course I sinned. I'm just an imperfect worm that always makes mistakes. The way God must look at me is the, I know he loves me because I'm his kid, but I'm just the frustrated screw-up son or daughter that just always messes up. And he still loves me, but he's probably sitting up there like, how long before you're going to get it? And it just leads to a deeper and heavier identity of failure and expectation of failure when temptation starts to come the person that has this expectation of failure will will look at that temptation and try to resist it because they know that they ought to resist it but even as that resistance is happening it starts to lead into like well it's only a matter of time before I fall into this temptation because I'm not strong enough it's already an expectation of failure 
For them, if that continues too long, it almost comes to a point where temptation comes, and as that temptation is there, it's almost immediately accepted because they're already accepting that they're going to fail at it. Again, this is a lie because what God says, again, is that he always provides a way of escape regardless of the temptation. What he says is our worth, our value, is not based on how many sins we avoid or how many sins we fall into. It's based simply upon what Jesus Christ has done on the cross as his blood was poured out for our sins, that we were washed white as snow, as we're adopted into his family, that that we are given the righteousness of Christ. And yet this trap tries to steal that from us by identifying us as a failure This leads uh, to thinking of I can't or I'll try and I'll fail. They also become angry and resentful, but mostly of themselves or others that put them down and add to the feeling that they have about themselves. Leads to low self-esteem, identity and failure, and sometimes depression. Um, This also leads to isolation because they uh, don't want to fail other people. So, so instead of pushing other people away because I'm trying to get it right and you're not helping me or you're making me fail, instead it's like, no, stay away from me because I'm going to fail you. And I don't want you to be around when that blows up. It, it comes into an internal struggle a lot of times because they just don't want other people to know how poorly that they feel about themselves. This oftentimes also leads into um, only expecting or only receiving negative feedback from other people. Because that expectation of failure is always there. Then what they're saying is, well, as I'm talking to somebody else, it's almost like they're just listening for what they've done wrong. It's almost like they're listening to, to just be like, okay, like, let me point out in a way that this person is going to say something negative about me because I'm, I'm a failure, because I'm a mistake, because I make mistakes. Like, and, and so you can have a conversation, and, and the person that's struggling with this can hear like all of these negative things in the midst of a conversation and, and walk away from that feeling terrible like this other person has put them down, even though those things were in the midst of a whole conversation or weren't even really that negative. But it's almost like this magnifying or this sensitivity of negative things is so turned up because of an expectation of failure that they just seem to take the worst thing possible out of that or the worst interpretation possible, right? This is honestly something that at times I've struggled with in in my own life. And I think I talked about this uh, a few weeks ago uh, as an example um, in the midst of a sermon where I was, was kind of like working on the sermon, but uh, instead I was, um, I was watching television for a little bit. I don't know if you guys remember me talking about this, watching television a little bit, and my lovely wife comes up and uh, she's like, well, how's the message going? Perfectly good question, right? Like, like how's it going? Not like, why are you watching TV or all those things, right? So in that aspect of um, with this passivity or this identity in in failure or or that failure or the expectation of failure, what can happen is when, when she comes and says something like that, 
If I'm struggling with this, the way I would receive it because of that failure identity is, so how's the message going? Why are you doing this? You know you should be on the Bible right now instead of watching Netflix. When all she said was, how's the message going? This is the way that it can begin to actually put a lens in front of us because of an expectation of failure or other people thinking that we're a failure, that, that even simply innocent words can begin to be twisted and distorted by our identity that we've accepted that is false so that we start receiving very negative things even though they're not intended. The other thing that can happen is that uh, maybe nothing could be taken negatively, right? And somebody just comes up and they're like, you know, what a great thing you did. Like, you were so helpful. Like, you're absolutely amazing. Like, like, what a wonderful mother you are. What a wonderful father you are. Like, I love the way that, that you worship. I love the way that you do this. For somebody that is struggling with uh, a sense of failure, they almost don't receive that. Like, it's almost not cataloged. Because that sense is, well, if you only really knew everything else, you wouldn't even be saying that to me. And it steals all of the encouragement that other people might have and they're trying to give to us because of an identity in failure. If, if somebody has an identity in perfectionism, the opposite almost happens where they're like, oh, what a great house you have, what a great lawn, like what a good job you did doing this. It almost feeds pride in that situation where it's like, yes, look at me, I did do a great job of this. And it actually steals encouragement because it builds up our own self-idolatry. Both of these things can happen all based on if we try to have our value based in success. It's the same root for both of these things, just played out in very different ways. One of them the world will recognize and praise as success. Because on the surface it may look like that. But those traps are still in there. The, the slippery paths to sin are still in there. The self-idolatry is still in there. The, the other one, they'll recognize uh, as being harmful and needing to change. But the world's answer to that is often what? Do things that you like to do. They're trying to push people from an identity of failure into an identity and a success. And the traps are just shifted. It just looks more successful from the world's standpoint. But both of them have traps that lead to sin. Both of them have traps that lead to self-idolatry. Both of them have traps that lead to um, the, the stealing of true encouragement, true identity, and true peace, and resting in the identity of God. Both of these things, uh, perfectionism or identity and failure, can also result uh, in chemical dependence on things as we try to use substances in order to help us feel successful or feel better or change the way that we feel. Now, this can be depending on unhealthy food or drugs to produce productivity, to be able to, to make us feel better about ourselves, to, to boost our sense of success and well-being with things that are uppers or numb feelings of failure or inadequacy by, by pursuing things that kind of deaden our senses. And even if it isn't a substance that we're um, actively pursuing, this will happen in television, video games, shopping. 
Because all of these things will actually release dopamine within our brains. And, and dopamine is a very powerful hormone that actually makes us feel good. And to feel good about it. God has designed this into our brain so that as we're living rightly, as we're living holistically and pursuing after him, it, it helps us to be able to, to walk along that path and truly enjoy life. However, our society discovered all of these different things that have led to TV binging, video game addictions, or shopping addictions that give us all of these releases and we're just using these other things as a drug in a sense to help us cope with a feeling of loss or, or a lessened feeling of worth within our life. We want to feel better, and so let's go shopping. I want to feel better. Let's eat chocolate. I want to feel more productive. Let me take copious amounts of caffeine. Oh, wait. Can I say that? But the truth is, we do look to these things. We want to feel very productive. We want to try and accomplish as much as possible. And if we turn to caffeine in order to stimulate and cause that to happen, that might be revealing that you have a sense of identity and your productivity and how good you are at succeeding in things. And now you're relying on something else to push you in order to get that sense of success. It can be something as innocent as a cup of coffee. Again, it comes down to what is our identity rooted in? Is it rooted in trying to find success and joy and worth in success? Or uh, is it going to be pursuing after our sense of identity in God and who he is? Now, in his book, Robert McGee points out that God's answer uh, to pursuing success God's answer to that is uh, the theological term justification. This word justification uh, literally means that God has declared those who are saved by the blood of Christ as righteous. It's essentially what it means. That, that, that because you're saved, your sins are forgiven. Because he's redeemed you, you're his child. That's literally what justification means. Now, now a word that's often used in, in tandem with that is the word called sanctification. And, and the word sanctification is the ongoing process, the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives to continually transform us to be more like Jesus. Again, that's something that's happening not by our own strength, but by work of the Holy Spirit. As we submit to that, we're transformed from glory to glory more into the likeness of Jesus Christ uh, as we go through that. The problem is that as Christians, we often take that sanctification process, and because we have an identity of success and we put our value on success, we'll look at how good we think we're doing within that process, and we give ourselves a value of pass-fail, of doing great or doing poorly, and we then confuse it for justification. Do you get what I'm saying with that? But as God works within our life, our sense of how good we're doing can actually mess with the concept of God has forgiven me, called me righteous, I'm in his hand, I'm established with him forever. If our identity is in success and failure, and we feel like we're doing a poor job as a Christian, we can actually forget that whole aspect of truth. 
And, and so what McGee is pointing out in this is that as we struggle with our identity and success of being able to be productive, to find our value and how good of a job we're doing, or to find our failure and how poor of a job we're doing, the answer to that is to remind ourselves of God's justification through Christ's work at the cross. To, to meditate upon that. To, to plant our sense of identity in that instead of whatever happens. Because Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, that we're set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Our identity and worth are not dependent upon successes or failures. Our value is not determined either by ourselves or the people around us, but rather by God who has created us, who has redeemed us. And there was a point in this that I'd never thought before. Uh, before and I, I love the way that he puts this. Um, God spoke all things out of what? Nothing. Right? Ex nihilo. In other words, there was nothing. There was no sun. There was no stars. And God simply said, let there be light. And, and there was the sun and stars. Right? It's not like he was sitting there and saying, okay, well, uh, we've got, you know, all of these atoms over here and all of these atoms over here. And, and so we're going to roll up our sleeves and do some celestial Play-Doh and put it together and, you know, take this material here. There, there literally was no atoms for the stars. He said, let there be light. And the stars came into existence, atoms and all. The same for birds. For humans, for, for our planet, for, for all of these things. There was literally nothing aside from God. And he said, let it be thus. And it was as he declared it. We have a really easy time, um, or I should say an easier time, accepting that truth. That, that the wood in these walls is there because God spoke it out of nothing. And now granted, these are like descendants of seeds for thousands of years and we can accept that easier than accepting that the same power in which God spoke into existence from nothing, that that same power is at work when he says, you are righteous and you are holy. We struggle with that more. And that's because we find our identity anchored in some other things. And so we're not trusting him. When we struggle with that, but the God that spoke all things into existence out of nothing is the same God that declares, your sin is nothing, you are mine. The faith that we have in him speaking stars into existence is the same faith when he says to us in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, that we've been declared righteous by faith and we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We've been declared righteous. It has been spoken forth by God in the same thing that spoke the Son into existence. It is unchangeable. It is immutable. It is unshakable. We just struggle to perceive it. 
And because we struggle to perceive it, we struggle to walk it out in our life. More verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We touched on it last week. He made the one who did not know sin, or Jesus, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews chapter 10. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, the Lord says. I will put my laws on their hearts, write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. It is God who's given us the worth of Jesus Christ. He has declared it. He has spoken it forth. That if you are here as redeemed son or daughter, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, that that you've repented of sins and have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you have done that, we have the value of Jesus And then we start struggling it within our mind right away. Like, Jesus is so much greater than I am. Like, like, Jesus is God. How can I have the value of God? Especially when I have all these little failures that come into my life. But again, we have to come back to this is what Scripture, this is what God has declared. It's not based on our successes. It's not based on our failures. It's not based on whether or not we think this is even wise. It's just based simply on the fact that God says He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness, the holiness of God. This is the truth. And pursuing this truth, meditating on this truth, accepting this truth, and rejecting all other things is the battle in which then we wrestle to stake our identity in the truth instead of on our successes or on our failures. God has given us the worth of Jesus Christ. It is who we are. We are pleasing to God in spite of our failures. We have peace, hope, joy instead of of fear of failure. Romans 8 puts it this way, we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, including the fear of failure that either leads to pursuing perfectionism or leads into anticipating a failure. Instead of falling into fear, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is what God establishes. This is your identity. This is your worth. It is a worth far beyond anything that we could achieve if we succeeded at our wildest dreams. Because it's the worth of God himself and not any paltry empire that we could build if everything went right for us here on earth. This is where we need to stake our identity in. This is where when we find ourselves falling into sin that we stand on and rest in God's forgiveness and grace and that our values are what Christ did and not what we did. When we're tempted to try and pursue after success so that we feel better about ourselves, the answer to that is do all things unto the Lord. Pursuing success is not a bad thing. Again, it's the motivation, the reason 
Why? I'm doing this because God has called me to do this. My identity is in him. This is what he's told me to do, so therefore I do it. Now I go and I do this. It succeeds or fails. It doesn't matter. I was faithful, and I'm able to rest in that. Regardless if mankind or the world deems what I did is a failure or a success. One of my favorite um, things to, to look at was a, a guy named Charles Simeon. And Charles Simeon was, do you remember Jaden? You're better with dates than I am on that. Okay, 1800s? Early 1900s? Somewhere in there. Anyways, uh, in England was a pastor that went to college. And, and so he's in college. And sorry to put you on the spot there. Uh, in college, uh, kind of graduates from college, and, and the way that the church system that he was within, he would be appointed to be able to, to go to um, a church. He was given a church to go to and be a pastor. Now, the church that he went to, um, the people there didn't like him at all. Um, and it was one of those churches, and I've never been in one myself, but the, um, apparently in, in churches back in the day, they, they would have pews and there's some churches that still have pews, uh, but there was also church boxes, meaning that there was like this little wall that was built around a pew that was locked and, and people could have a key to it. So if you like your own space, you could go to a church like that and you could pay enough in order to get your own box. Nobody else could ever sit in your space because it's your spot, right? Anyways, the people in the church did not like him to the point where they left their boxes locked and there was no seats available and nobody showed up. And so here's the pastor sitting in front of the room, empty room, but full of locked boxes, and he would begin to preach, though nobody was there. And some people would walk in off the street and stand in the back. And so he would preach to the people that would walk in. And, and he did that for a, a decently long season. And people are like, well, why don't you quit? Like, why don't you stop? Like, obviously this has failed. And, and his response was, this is what God has told me to do. As soon as he tells me to do something else, as soon as he tells me to leave, I'm going. My identity is based in that. My sense of success is based on, am I being faithful in preaching where and when he's told me to preach? So, so Charles Simeon did that for a long season. Um, and a lot of his sermons were then recorded and, and put into books. And um, sometime later, uh, there was another young student searching to, to be a pastor that began to study uh, the books and be very influenced by Charles Simeon. Uh, this guy's name was Charles Spurgeon. People more familiar with Charles Spurgeon, right? Now, Charles Spurgeon became worldwide famous, sent out all kinds of letters, all of these other things. And, and we would look from the outside at, like, how much more successful. And, and there's stories with him and depression and, and all of those other things as well. Uh, but I really like this story of, of Simeon um, because... His identity was, this is what God has told me to do. The world's identity of success or failure doesn't matter. It was a living picture of what we're talking about here. 
He was justified by God. He did what God told him to do. And that's what his identity was. I'm not saying it was easy for him. I'm sure it was hard for him to be standing up here to an empty room. But that's the way that it lives out. And God will use it. Simeon may never have found that success in his own life. But God used it and has influenced our church. It's influenced me. It's influenced a lot of people through those sermons and, and possibly more than we could possibly imagine through Spurgeon. So anyways, just an example of finding that identity in Christ and then when things feel like they're failing, if we're doing what God's called us to do, we can have peace and rest even in those circumstances as well. Uh, last week, uh, gave some homework and uh, I was going to bring mine and share mine, but I forgot and so they're at home, and if I remember, I'm going to do that. Those five things, again, what was your five priorities in life? Like, like actively, like how it lives out. And then secondly, like, like what is the, the ideal in that situation? Uh, I've got more homework today for this next week for those that want to participate in this. And, and as you do it, again, this is anchoring in God and will produce results. Uh, this is defined three to five verses that... Uh, the, where God reminds you who he made you to be through the blood of Christ. Now, we've listed a few here this morning. Um, I don't, there's others popping in my mind right now. But again, um, I want you to find some that speak to you. One might be he made uh, the one who did not know sin to be sin for me so that in him I might be the righteousness of God. I'm changing a few words there, if you notice. Um, but as you're meditating it upon yourself, like this actually makes it more impactful. And, and it's maybe even a little harder to say sometimes. It's easy to sit there and say, okay, he made him to be sin that was not sin for us altogether so that in him we, the church, might be the righteousness of God. As we do that, that's actually falling into this uh, a little bit of, of a trap of a fear of failure if we don't or aren't willing to put ourselves in that picture as an individual. Because it's easier to say we as a group, the righteousness of God, because I can kind of disappear within that group and it's not directly confronting my own identity in that situation. And it's not calling me then to live a life accountable to being the righteousness of God. Because then that leads into that fear of failure. And so we can kind of hesitate away from verses like that because we don't want to feel that confrontation or we don't want to feel a sense of, of loss or less worth because we're not good at that. That's not the point of looking at these verses. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The whole point of these verses is to say that feeling, that, that shrinking back, that like, well, this doesn't really apply. I'm not, that's not me. The whole point of finding these verses and saying, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for me, so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. By meditating upon that, by praying that out, it is a direct refutation of those feelings that are saying, I'm not worthy of this. Because those feelings are not the declarations of God. Those are what's true. Your feelings are not. Your feelings are lies in that circumstance trying to get you to stay in a lie, to accept a lie, and live out a lie. 
This homework assignment will help to establish three to five verses that when you're feeling that way, you stand on those verses. doesn't mean life's going to be easy, everything's smooth sailing. But when difficulty comes, you're holding on to the rock of Christ then as your identity instead of a feelings and emotions, a sense of value in all of your successes or an anticipation of failure no matter what comes your way. Those are both lies. Nothing can separate us from his hand. That is the truth. Father, we come before you, and we pray that uh, these truths would sink deeply into our hearts. Uh, In fact, I just agree and read Paul's prayer in Ephesians that we pray that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened so that we may know what is the hope of God's calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in us, the saints, and what the immeasurable greatness of his power is towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. The same power was exercised in Jesus being raised from the dead and seated at the hand, um, in the right hand in the heavens, is at work within us today to walk according to this truth instead of the lies that would hold us and bind us and twist the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.